DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Brian Kelbrowski, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype. Did their most recent NBA mock draft. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. You know, under normal times, we'd be about a week out or so from the draft. It'd be, uh, it'd be bearing <laughs> right down on us, but these times are anything but normal. How much do you think the draft changes? Before we get to a couple of local guys I know you got your eyes on, how much do you think the draft changes because it's a few months later? Or do you think it pretty much just plays out the way it would have played out if they were doing it uh, you know, in late June like normal? You know, I actually think uh, specifically when it comes to the guys that you're talking about uh, that are local, uh, it plays out in their favor because I think that um, you know there's so much uncertainty surrounding this draft class that players that we've seen – uh, experience, you know, um, you know, be around for for several years now. Uh, I think have an advantage because I think that there's just more film on them, and when you when you really don't know much uh, about what the pre-draft process is going to look like, whether or not there's going to be a combine, whether or not any of the usual circumstances surrounding the draft are going to be able to happen, um, I think you want to go with what you know. And I think, uh, you know, in that sense, seniors are really going to rise in the process. You see any stars in this draft? Uh, I think Lamelo Ball could be a star. I think he has the most star potential. I think he's the most special and unique player of the guys in this particular class. Um, I don't think that he's a sure thing by any stretch. I think that there are certainly red flags uh, about um, you know his game that uh, you know his inefficiency, his his kind of weird looking jump shot. Um, you know those are both red flags for sure. Uh, and I think, you know, realistically, there are going to be teams that don't want anything to do with the ball family. And I think that that is merited. Um, it's not necessarily how I would feel, but at the same time, I would understand why a general manager wouldn't want to, um, you know, dip their toes in that water. Um, so I would say LaMelo has the most potential uh, to be a star. And then I think there are other guys, you know, if you look back at the, the draft class where Anthony Bennett went number one, um, you know, Giannis was in that class as well. And I think that uh, Rudy Gobert was in that class as well. And I think that, you know, you look at those kind of guys, and those are bona fide stars, but they didn't go in the top three. So I could definitely see a player being selected, you know, 15 or 20, um, whatever it might be, uh, that might that might have uh, as much star potential as someone like Anthony Edwards. I think Anthony Edwards, you know, fits the bill of like a prototypical NBA wing, uh, pretty similar to, to me, uh, like Donovan Mitchell. I think that he's got a lot of those qualities, um, but I think it's going to be um, hard to build a franchise around him right now, uh, or at least I can't say with certainty, but I would feel confident building a franchise around Anthony Edwards. Um, I think that you could not say the same about Luka Doncic, Trey Young, um, you know Zion Williamson, a few, a few of the guys who've been selected in recent years. I think that it's uh, very different, you know, in previous classes where there was at least one or two bona fide. This guy's going to be a star. So, is is there an international guy you think has a chance to be a star, even if he's not going to be the number one or number two pick? Uh, yeah, I would say my biggest bet there would be Killian Hayes out of France. Um, you know, he's he's really uh, somebody who's been a, a very, very impressive scorer off the dribble, uh, off the bounce for many years. He's been able to create an isolation uh, and score for himself. And I think when you look at star power in the NBA, um, the guys who can lead the league in scoring by creating their own opportunities uh, probably have the biggest opportunities to do that. And then I'm not even sure if that's the last name, but 
I, call, I just call him Poku. Uh, Alexa is Poku. Uh, longer last name than that. It's Greek. Um, he he's really a really phenomenal young player as well, and he has real boomer bust potential. Um, he's a seven foot playmaker, and he's really wiry. Um, but I think that you know the numbers that he was putting up uh, this season and rebounds, assists, points. Uh, and blocks um, were similar to the rebounds that Giannis was doing uh, when he was in Greece. And, you know, Poku is playing in the same league, the Greece, uh, the same league in Greece that Giannis, was playing, that Giannis played in. Um, and I think that he, he has some, some really, really big star power as well. Um, I don't think that I would bet money on that, uh, but I think that, you know, I could foresee a scenario, foresee a reality where that could happen. You already mentioned Ball. Uh, it seems like a lot of kids out there that you can classify as a point guard. Point guard has a, uh, a broader definition than I think it used to be. But outside of Ball, who I think you have going number one, who would you rank? What would your what would your ranking be of of the next guys for point guards? Yeah, uh, I would say Killian Hayes would be would be my number two point guard. I think you know he and Ball are both combo guards. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you kind of look at the tiers, I would say that's sort of the tier, the tier one point guard right there. Um, those are, those are my two, my two favorite, uh, primary ball handlers. Going down the list, uh, going down the list a little bit, um, I would say Kira Lewis out of Alabama, uh, is somebody that I think, Kira Lewis Jr. is someone that I think people really, really need to pay close attention to. Um, he, he reminds me a lot of De'Aaron Fox and John Wall and Ish Smith. Um, in their in in their ability to just run fast with the ball, uh, speedy ball handlers, you know that's an elite skill. Um, they could play in a fast tempo offense. So I think Carol Lewis Jr. does a phenomenal job of that. And I think another guy that we need to keep an eye on, who also is a bit of a combo guard, um, is Tyrell Terry uh, out of Stanford. Um, I reported yesterday that Tyrell Terry actually broke a franchise record, or not a franchise record, but broke a record um, for a uh, basketball intelligence test um, that uh, is administered by about six or seven different NBA franchises. Um, basically, it, it tests your instincts, your ability to make the right reads. It's not, you know, a wonderlick test. It's, it's a strictly like basketball IQ test, um, you know, that goes off of reaction time and things like that. And realistically, um, he also is an incredible three-point shooter and an incredible free-throw guy. I mean, he could be a 50-40-90 guy in this league. Um, I think, you know, I've interviewed him. He, he's getting the Trey Young, Steph Curry uh, comparisons already. Uh, the problem is that he's very, very young. He's 18, 19 years old, uh, only played one year at Stanford, and just looks like a little boy still. Um, I think if he grows into his body a little bit more, puts on some muscle, um, he, he's up there in the top five point cards for me as well. You did an interview with BYU's Yoli Childs. You got him in the latest mock draft at 40, so you know, kind of early in the second round. And does it really come down to the pick-and-pop shooting that, that everybody wants shooters, and he showed he could do that? Yeah, I think I might be the biggest Yoli Childs believer outside of Utah, man. Um, I, I don't know what people are missing with him. Uh, I'm not sure why it feels like I'm the only guy that has him in mock drafts. I think that he is one of the biggest sure-thing players in this draft. Um, I think realistically, Yoli Childs is somebody who just blew me away. Uh, I've interviewed him two years in a row now because he tested the waters last year. I had a great conversation with him last season before he decided to return uh, to Provo. And realistically, man, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't find enough stock in the guy. 
Um, I think, you know, second round is a fair evaluation for him, uh, considering his age. But I think whoever gets him is going to get somebody that they can rely on for years. And I think he's going to be a great clubhouse guy. And I think he's going to be a great, um, you know, basketball player as well. And I think that, you know, your, your goal as an NBA player, um, you know, beyond the minute should be to earn that second contract with the franchise that drafted you. And, you know, that's somebody who I think uh, can very well do that because I think that he has that kind of, um, you know, understanding and maturity. And so we talk about, you know, the pick and pop and his shooting obviously uh, played a really big role as a, as a senior at BYU. I think his, you know, near 50% shooting clip from three is beyond insane. I mean, I never would have expected in a million years going into the season. Um, but, you know, he showed it to us, obviously, once he did get on the court. Um, but I think, you know, the other thing with Yoli is that you're, you're drafting an adult. And I think that um, that goes a long way because a lot of guys flame out uh, really earlier in their career. You know, they finally get their million dollars, their goal their entire life, was not to be an NBA basketball player, but to be a first-round pick and make the millions. And they made the millions and they, um, you know, got that first-round pick and they, they stopped caring. I think that, you know, that's a real thing that you see in the NBA all the time. And you see that from top to bottom. Um, and there are some guys who just can't handle the lifestyle. I cannot say the same about Yola Charles. I feel the exact opposite way. I feel like he um, is someone that I'm confident can absolutely handle it. Do you have any thoughts about Sam Merle out of Utah State? Love the guy. I think that he's uh, maybe the most underrated player in the draft class next to not named Yola Child, man. Um, I don't know what it is about, you know, these Utah players going under the radar. Maybe it's the the uh, the eternal uh, payback for Jimmer Fredette flying so high above the radar. Um, but I think that Sam Merrill's productivity uh, was phenomenal, phenomenal. And I think that um, when I spoke to him as well, because I've interviewed him too, um, I haven't published that interview yet, I felt a very similar kind of connection to him that I did with Yoli. I'm just like, this guy's an adult. Like, you know, when you're interviewing freshmen, you know, in these NBA French franchises right now, are doing these interviews over Zoom, you know, it's hard. It's really a challenge to, to connect that way. Um, Sam is going to be somebody that, you know, they're going to be able to really see what you are. He has a very clear idea of who he is. Um, he, he's, a, he's somebody who has good size for his position. I think that, you know, he might not be the most incredible athlete. He's not going to jump out of the gym. Um, but he's somebody who I think you can count on to, to get that ball in the bucket and, and make the right basketball play. And, you know, I, I really – I'm biased stock in Sam as well. I think that he, um, he, he really proved something to me uh, over his four-year career, man. I mean, he's a great shooter. And, you know, the athletic John Hollinger, who used to be a phenomenal writer for ESPN and then worked in the Memphis Grizzlies front office uh, for, for several years as well, um, you know, he, he thinks that Sam is the most underrated player in the draft as well. And I think that he makes uh, a lot of good points in, in identifying that. So as I look at the, uh, at the assessment of these two guys, and this is uh, Brian Kabrowski joining us, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype, did the most recent mock draft. The two things they have in common, maybe why they could be overlooked, I guess there's three. One is people could just be wrong, so we can set that aside. Two, uh, it's your point that they are mature and grown up, and do they like drafting 19- and 20-year-old guys who have more upside? Yes, you have to deal with some immaturity, but there's more upside, whereas these guys are more finished product, and they're not projecting them to get a lot better. And then the other thing is, do they just not think these guys are athletic enough to stay in front of anybody in the NBA that they're going to be matchup issues, and that's why they're falling? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Yoli's improvement year over year, headed into his senior year, I mean, no one saw that three-point shooting come in. 
that wasn't one of his strengths and ended up being one of his most elite strengths. So, you know, you're seeing him continue to develop, you know, even at this age. And, yeah, the truth is these guys aren't first-round picks because they'd probably rather get a 19-year-old who can develop and, you know, has more of a ceiling. Um, but, you know, I think in the second round, you're looking for guys with high floors. And I think that, you know, realistically, uh, there's going to be a lot of seniors in this class uh, that do have those high floors that we're talking about. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, it's really easy to see, at least offensively, the role that both of them can play. Defensively, I'm more concerned about um, Sam than I am about Yoli. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't trust Sam defensively. Um, I think that he, he can definitely, you know, when he's fully working on his body and his conditioning with an NBA trainer, um, can become, you know, a, a more uh, polished version of himself. And Yoli has a great frame and a great size. And I think that, you know, you look at guys around the league who, who, are, who are solid defenders. I mean, even Brandon Clark, who doesn't have much of a wingspan at all. I think that, you know, he's built fairly similar to Yoli. Um, I think that realistically, you know, Brandon Clark was one of the most impressive young defenders in uh, the draft last season and, you know, was one of the best defending uh, rookies then, um, you know, as a, as a rookie for, for Memphis. I think that Yoli can, um, you know, kind of model his game defensively off of someone like Brandon Clark, who might not be a seven foot two rim protector like a Rudy Gobert, um, but can still, you know, make the most of his body and, um, you know, figure out the ways to, to lock in. And Yoli, he's built, man. He, he's he's, uh, he's he's definitely going to be even more of a gym rat. Um, I think heading into you know this NBA draft process too. And I think that you know I could see him putting on even more muscle uh, to an already impressive frame. You speak of the NBA draft process, and we normally know what that means because it's the same every year. Well, this year obviously is different. What do we know about the process that is actually going to happen in the coming months? Um, you know, Intel. You know, Intel is huge. Uh, knowledge is power. You know, there are NBA franchises that you know call reporters like me, and they ask for what I think of certain guys, um, and that's a real thing. Uh, you know, the more that you can hear about a player, the more that you can learn about his background, the more that you can um, understand, you know, his maturity, um, where, what his uh, self-identifications are, where his rooms to grow are. Um, I think that all of those things are, are crucial uh, for identifying, um, you know, the next NBA star. And I think that uh, when you look at that, you know, you kind of look for, for things that have worked for you in the past. Um, and I think whatever you can do, whether it's virtual or in person, uh, to fig- figure out ways to um, identify those traits, uh, you're going to do it. And I think that, you know, there's going to be more time for Intel research than, than ever before. Um, so I think that you're going to get a lot more uh, deep dives into these players. I mean, you know, the franchises are still, you know, the scouts are still doing, you know, full reports on players every day. I mean, you know, there are folks that are looking into, you know, which six foot eight guy is the best in the pick and roll as a ball handler. You know, there's, there's those conversations that are, that are happening still regularly across the league. And, um, you know, they're going to find specific, uh, specificities um, that I think that, you know, are really important. And I think realistically, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to eventually get some version of a combine. I think I could see a scenario where it could be virtual. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but um, I, I just foresee a situation where, uh, you know, as much knowledge as possible is going to go a long way here. So it's interesting you say that. One of the guys, and you had him ranked as the last pick in the first round of your mock draft, is uh, Nico Mannion. And his dad played at Utah, so people here know him. His dad played for the Jazz and did broadcasting for the Jazz five years, and he did radio shows with us for a while. 
So we know him and we knew Nico when he was in elementary school. So it's kind of a weird deal to know someone in elementary school who's now a projected first round pick, but just barely. We saw him in the lottery. We saw him in the top 10 in some mock drafts. But when you do the deep dive on Arizona, because we were paying attention, Nico's strength had been running pick and rolls and really dominating in that setting, having the ball in his hands all the time. He goes to Arizona, and honestly, at times, I thought I was watching an offense out of 1987. You know, bring the ball up, throw it to the wing, go and screen away. I mean, it was really old school. Clearly, he didn't shoot the ball well. The numbers were, they they weren't even mediocre. They got bad in big stretches. But he wasn't playing the way he played earlier, and he wasn't playing the way I think he'll play in the NBA. So when you do a deep dive, who sticks to the numbers and who says, hey, let's look past the numbers because we think when we put him back in this situation, he'll be better. And, you know, there are some numbers there that are good, too. He had the second-best assist rate among all freshmen um, in the NCAA. I think that goes uh, a long way. I mean, assist rate is a huge part of what makes a point guard. You know, he's a, he's a pure point guard in that sense, and he does have good size for his position. Um, I think that, you know, there are going to be some teams, uh, and I, I mocked them to Boston, but there are some teams that have multiple picks in the first round. Uh, Philadelphia is one of them. Boston's one of them. Both of those teams need backup point guards. And I, I can't imagine, you know, teams that have multiple picks in the first round passing him two or three times. I mean, Boston, I think, has three first-round picks. I just can't foresee a scenario where they're up on the clock three different times unless they consolidate and trade up or trade down or trade out. Um, I, I just don't see a scenario where he gets passed up three times by Boston. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you look at Danny Ainge, I think there's so many natural connections to, to Nico there. Um, I think that... You know, they, they had a similar style of play. I mean, I think that, you know, they're just, you know, you, you can just see that. You know, I think it's a natural fit. Um, you know, but I think there are other teams. You know, I mentioned Philadelphia um, that, that I think could really use a backup point card. I think, you know, Milwaukee will look at them. Um, I think Phoenix uh, will definitely look at them. I mean, they picked DeAndre Ayton because of the ties to the university there. Um, and I think, you know, Ricky Rubio is not the answer for the future, um, you know, in Phoenix. I could see. You know, Nico being being a potential option there, and that's the great thing about Nico too is he is an incredible passer and facilitator. His assist percentage is you know astronomically high. And if you look at it that sense, um, you know, I could I would love to see him running pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton and distribute into Devin Booker. You know, he doesn't have to be the the, the ultimate scorer if Devin Booker's on the team. So I mean, I think you know Phoenix at ten has a real shot at taking a look at Nico, a real shot. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, for me, I just think there are better options than Nico. Uh, I like Tyrese Halliburton better for Iowa, out of Iowa State, um, you know, for Phoenix particularly. Um, but I think that there are going to be options for Nico uh, all scattered across the first round. And I, I still would be very surprised, you know, if he fell out of the first round in a way that like Bull Bull did last season, um, because you know Nico doesn't have character issue concerns. I mean, he comes from comes from a mature basketball family, you know, represents his country um, for Team Italy. I think that, you know, he's somebody who realistically, um, you know, people are going to buy in. It's just a matter of how early they're going to be willing to buy in. Um, but I think that the numbers don't reflect the player that he is. Well, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking NBA draft with us, Brian. Brian Kilbrowski, NBA reporter for Hoops Hype. I guess I better ask you, and it, the Jazz could be drafting anywhere between 21 and 26 or whatever. You got any line on who they might like, or is it too early to know and there are too many people in front of them? Uh, 
tell me about songs closer to the draft, and I'll, I'll give you as much intel as I can by then. Um, I could tell you that you know a lot of the guys that I have in the first round um, have done Zoom calls with 25 to, to 28 NBA teams. So I imagine that Utah um, has been among those 25 to 28 teams for the guys in the first round. Um, so realistically, uh, you know, I could see it's in a situation where the guys who you know you've heard good things about Utah probably likes, um, but I can't I can't quite give you any any uh, scoops yet uh, because I, I don't have much intel in terms of um, you know guys that I think uh, could really fit. Let me I mean I'm kind of pulling my brain a little bit here, um, but yeah, I think realistically, man, um, probably closer to the draft would be the best. Um, would be the best uh, best time to do that. Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Brian Kilbrowski. Yeah, of course.